0: What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez-Peak.
1: And I'm Noah Hertz,
0: And welcome to Press Start.
1: It is... Uh, now, nah, you know, I don't have anything funny this week. Uh, I'm not going to try to do any kind of funny intro, fuck it. Um, welcome to Press Start. Uh, we are joined this week by a special guest. We got a fun episode, a fun and interesting episode ahead of us. This week, we are joined by award-winning writer Nadia Chemess. Their writing covers a lot of ground, spanning mediums, genres, tones... Uh, Nadia's written for comics and graphic novels you might have seen their name on some of the Marvel's Miss Marvel comics as well as the fantasy comic Squire and they also write for video games including Outer Loop Games Thirsty Suitors which at the time of this recording is not out yet but it will be out soon. Uh, Nadia thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you and yeah Thirsty Suitors is out next week actually from the time of which we're recording so yeah. november yeah. 2nd yeah wow
0: that is really exciting
2: yeah no and it's uh my first game credit so
1: that is so cool i i think we're both like really looking forward to talking to you about like uh the differences in writing yeah for, like, comics versus writing for games for sure kind of thing so
0: yeah i have a lot yeah definitely i've been thinking about that but just to start Tell us about like how you got started as a writer. Um, How did you break into the writing world? Was it something you always did as a kid?
2: Yeah, yeah, it is definitely something I always did as a kid. Um, So, you know, uh, my backstory is that I am a Palestinian American writer who grew up in Brooklyn. I. Basically, was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I was sent back to live with my family in Palestine and Bethlehem specifically until I was around five years old. And then, um, kind of seeing that things were not great, we kind of went back. My family decided to go back to the United States, uh, and then I was in New York from then from then until three years ago. And now I live in Toronto, Ontario, which is also a big change. Um, I kind of like to joke that there is, we've been kind of displaced for three generations, including me now, <laughs> um, and uh, dark joke, but also it's because my, my grandparents are actually from uh, uh, Armenian. I have oh, Armenian wow. grandparents as well. So it's kind of like been an interesting path of just kind of always moving for my family the last few last few hundred years or so.
1: Oh, dude, I hope sometime in the next generation or two your family can just catch a fucking break.
2: It would be so sick. I would I really want to know what fucking curse <laughs> like who like who yeah. did we piss off so bad? Like what did one of my great grandparents do? Like I demand answers. But
1: I yeah. I do still want to hear the answer to like how you got into writing and everything. Oh my I, god, I that
2: wanna... was oh wow, that no, was no, no, my no, way would... of getting into it. Gosh, what I meant to say <laughs> After that moment, uh, I'm very distractible lately. But what I meant to say after that moment was that I kind of started writing as a kid, like really young, like around five, six, first kind of going back to the States to like try to kind of understand like my own emotional state. I would kind of write like fictionalized stories that would either like relate to what I was going through at the moment or kind of when things got really rough because honestly, I had like a pretty isolated childhood as well I wasn't like wasn't great socially a lot of stuff happened but the idea was that like the world always felt really overwhelming to me and uh, I couldn't really understand why and I think reading a lot and then writing a lot was kind of my way of processing that So I've been kind of writing to process emotions. And then, of course, I got into fan fiction because I was a huge Mm. goddamn weeb. Uh, And I was was like one of the kids who was, uh, you know, hanging out in the Barnes and Noble stacks, like, you know, greasy headed and like reading manga for free. Uh, So, Yeah. yeah, like that's kind of how I got into it really. Yeah, I was just kind of always writing. And finally, when I was in college, I ended up getting an internship at Marvel Comics, um in their editorial department and so i did kind of an internship like at the beginning of my college around like kind of early sophomore year or and then uh i did another one in my kind of last semester in college as well in my senior year and that was kind of how i was like no i I really do like comics i I reaffirmed that this is something i want to do and uh, i started trying to write for comics professionally from there Um, I also did go to college for poetry, but I had a horrible time in my creative writing department, and I totally, like, quit. I thought I was never going to write again after college. But um, kind of going into comics and especially, like, through the editorial side weirdly made me kind of, like, working on other people's stories made me so excited that it made me be like, no, I do have my own stuff that I want to kind of do again. So... Yeah, I kind of found my way back in my, like, mid-twenties. Wrote Squire at, like, 25. That was my first book ever. And that's kind of how it happened, kind of in a long roundabout way. That's how I got into writing. So it's kind of, I've always been... There was never really anything else I ever really wanted to do. And kind of everything I ever did, like, revolved around it. But my relationship with it also kind of went in and out, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah I kind of relate to like I originally went to college for acting Um, I got really burnt out on it and I ended up actually pivoting to journalism because there's elements of like writing especially for broadcast that mimic like theatrical scripts and you just kind of find the creative love and juice for it in another way after being burnt out by bad professors or like the nature of schoolwork. Um, But does poetry like inform your writing still?
2: Oh, definitely. I I was actually going to say yeah, I totally resonate because the thing that like poetry, you know, kind of seeing like the inter like bad professors like like just really white, <laughs> really rich, like kind of those who are really the kids in the department. And it was like, I, and I think I was like one of only two, like a fab people. It was like, it was God, you know what I mean? So, uh, that was, that was rough and I didn't really see myself, but weirdly, I feel like poetry is, is very, in many ways, visual as as well like you kind of have to think about how a poem sits on the page as well because you you know how that affects kind of the experience of the reading uh where a line breaks and all of that translates really directly into comics and into games in a lot of ways as well because you have to think about the visual aspect of the of the screen or the page right you have to think about how the eye moves across it you have to think about like the economy of space and also the dilation of time uh with very little um and so that's kind of how I I feel like a lot of my interest in poetry especially with the way poetry kind of makes me feel and what poetry makes me see on the inside of my head like really kind of translates into how I approach writing I kind of really do approach it from like a very visual slash kind of uh emotional timing is a big thing for me
1: yeah i'm curious then like um tori i don't know if you had anything similar did you read comics at all when you were growing up tori yeah the sonic the
0: hedgehog comics Uh, specifically
1: oh let's fucking go yeah my, yeah. my introduction to comics came when i was like a teenager because my dad used to collect uh dc comics especially he was very into batman in like the late 80s early 90s up through like the the comics boom when every single fucking issue had nine different variant covers so that you would buy 10 copies of yeah. every comic yeah so like
2: and so much has changed. <laughs> yeah, right. Just um, kidding. <laughs> so like a lot
1: of my my early interaction with comics came through that, and I'm I'm curious like what was your early interaction with comics that got you into the medium? Because like you you talked about like you know poetry professors who were white and upper middle class and rich, and you felt detached there. But like I associate a lot of the same with like typical mainstream comics of the time too.
2: For sure. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting because, like, I kind of mentioned, but yeah, I started with, um, I started with manga mm-hmm. a lot, like anime yeah. and manga was kind of where I, I really kind of started. And I think that still, again, like influences me hugely to this day in the terms of especially the way I approach comics. Um, but I didn't really get into, like, kind of the, the, you know, Cape comic stuff until, until, like, high school, um, and the way it was is I went from manga weirdly to, like, zines Mm. to, like, the weird punk, because I was, like, a punk kid, you know what I mean? Like, I was a teenager and I was, like, a gross ratty teenager who, like, took the subway and, like slept in union square and like smoked pot with literally any person i came across (laughs) like you know and like so there was like the whole zine network there this is why i wasn't on tumblr by the way i said that i was doing other types of trauma. yeah you were you were much cooler i missed tumblr because i spent my my high school years like just drinking and doing all kinds of crazy ridiculous stuff that teenagers probably shouldn't do and then uh I didn't my college years were totally different where I was like totally straight edged and like I was like no 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 I, that was the old me my new me is like totally like straight and by the book and I'm gonna read philosophy and I'm gonna be an academic and then that didn't work out either because both of those were two extremes of what I actually am like and what what I wanted to do um which is you know smoke weed all the time and then read <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> um, but oh my god, what was the question? It was else it was about uh, God no, I was, was asking
1: question, about your sorry. your entry into comics. Like you you talked about your entry into manga, but like how did you get into That's like right. you ended up getting an internship at Marvel? Yes. So I imagine you have some love for yes. Marvel comics.
2: Okay, so the way that I got that internship was not because I had love for Marvel necessarily like the way that I loved Marvel or Cape stuff was actually kind of cartoons like I said sorry I meant what to say, manga, then zines and but also the thing that was always in my life was cartoons right like Teen Titan, Batman the animated series. Um, uh, like X-Men, the kind of 90s X-Men animated. Like, I grew up watching all of that. It was my favorite thing. So that was kind of, and, and of course, even the 2000s X-Men movies, I loved at the Those time. Those were good, like, yeah. Totally. So, yeah, no. So I, uh, so like superheroes were in my life, but not in comic form for a while and then when I was in high school there was a comic shop right next to me and um I saw like on like a block away from where I lived in Brooklyn and in Bay Ridge specifically and um there and it's right next to this like horrible movie theater that I love very much called the Alpine. It's like the floors are permanently sticky. There is always just someone just like sleeping completely inebriated screaming at the screen all intermittently. Like I love that movie theater, but uh yeah, that comic book shop, the manager at the time knew, you know knew that I didn't have like a lot of money, so he would let me read comics oh, in the man, back. Oh, that's
1: so cool. And
2: he would recommend stuff for me. So that was my comics education is I spent a ton of time in kind of late high school and early college just at that comic shop, just like spending whatever money I did have there. And he knew that, which is why he let me be there and do that. But he also knew that I could only like afford one volume a week, honestly. And that if I wanted to know what happened, it's like 10 volumes long for a Marvel series. So like he would just kind of let me grab whatever and read it in the back. And that was kind of an extension of what I was doing with manga in the kind of Barnes and Noble section so yeah that was my comics education honestly was like just being there and just reading whatever was there and whatever he recommended and he was a big cape comic person so that's kind of how I got into it but the Marvel internship happened because I had this neighbor the first one did, because I had this neighbor, and he told and he lived across the street and he told everyone that he got a Marvel internship, and I hated him. I thought he was the worst. And I hated him, and I was like, if that idiot can get a Marvel internship, so could I. So I applied to spite him, and I got it. and then I found out he never got oh, it. My internship. Oh so my God, that's so iconic Thank you. Thank you. But yes, that is literally how I got that first internship. It was fully wow. spite. It was just completely and that
1: neighbor's spite. name. Yeah, Stanley. Can
2: you? <laughs> <that>? I know <laughs> that neighbor's name, Benjamin. Not no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, but nonetheless, yeah, I really, I really, yeah, it was fully spite. And then I was like, wait, comics are cool, actually, <laughs> when I was there. Although your career has
0: primarily been in comics, you are now. You've now written for your first video game credit, Thirsty Suitors, which is coming out next week. What kind of got you interested in games writing?
2: Yeah, so the thing is is that my relationship with video games is i had immigrant parents who did really did not understand video games so i only really ever played um arcade games because there was like a laundromat that had like a marvel versus Capcom cabinet and like a few others and so like like a mortal Kombat one so i i loved arcades i played a lot of arcade cabinets and then um i also would save my own kind of money from side jobs or allowances or whatever i didn't really have an allowance I, I kind of just my parents would be like we'll give you an allowance just uh and then it would turn out there would be like a job behind uh, it actually a side quest uh, yeah yeah it, very, yeah it was very it was very yes no it really was side quests they would be like my, my parents would be like oh you want an allowance sure and then when it's like hey it's allowance day they'll be like yeah but would you uh be interested in maybe uh, scrubbing the floors before you got that money. <laughs> and I was like, god damn it, I've been fooled again. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so whatever I got that money, I would buy myself like Nintendo. I was So I got like an N64 that way and like a few Nintendo games and a GameCube. But the way I got into games writing then was I didn't really have a PC. And I started seeing someone in 2019 who was like, who did have a PC and spent their entire life just gaming and was really interested in the indie game scene. And like on, on our first few dates, we were dating long distance and he was in, in Toronto and I was in Brooklyn at the time. Um, and uh, whenever I would come, we didn't have any money <laughs> again uh so i would just stay over at his place and play games for a few days and i got introduced to stuff like papers please and kind of um other other games that i'd never heard of like before and it was so it just totally opened my eyes as to like what games could be for narrative it for for storytelling about because you know my favorite thing about comics is like the interactivity of it Like, the reader is a very active role in the reading of a comic, Um, and you have to really think about, like, kind of how the reader is going to interact with it before you even kind of get it, right, because you have... To think about like panel layout or how information is paced along not only the volume but even in a page even in a panel so there is so much to think about and i find that games writing is very similar is that like you're thinking about what a player could do before they do it you're thinking about kind of how their interactivity creates the relationship that creates the narrative between the two of you, right, between like the creator and the participant, and so I, I really started to think like, wow, games games could do so much more in that space than than I originally thought, and so it made me really be like, no, I I do want to kind of start getting into games writing and and kind of start exploring how to tell a story, how to provide information, and how your relationship with a participant can evolve over the course of the project, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: It's really cool to hear that, like, that was the kind of stuff that opened your eyes, because I feel like a lot of people experience similar moments where they play a game, like I know I certainly did, where, like, you play a game that has a particularly strong narrative, or does something, like, particularly interesting with the medium, where you're like, oh shit, this can be utilized to tell stories that can really only be told in this medium but i feel like for a lot of people and like this is no ding at all but like but i feel like for a lot of people that was like the first bioshock or that was like i don't know something else that like is still coming out of a space that is very much defined by like games where the main verb is like point a gun and shoot and like nothing against Bioshock I haven't even played through the first one so I don't even really have an informed opinion about it but like I I, it's interesting to hear that like your your like come to Jesus moment with games as a an art form came in that indie game space whereas I feel like a lot of those same people who made those games had it in like the triple a like main main uh very mainstream game space
2: I think that that's, you know, I think that the thing that I'm going to keep talking about is just like, yeah, I think that that's down to affordability, right? Like, I didn't have money for a PlayStation. I never had a PlayStation before, like now being a full grown adult. And I, I mentioned before, I've been playing the shit out of Spider-Man 2, but none on that PlayStation, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, like I, I didn't, you know, so I didn't have those big moments unless i was watching someone like i used to love making friends with gamers because at least i got to watch them play and then also yeah i was like one of those people who would love watching like youtube story like i watched all the arkham games uh that way uh, like through youtube playthroughs because i again didn't have a, an xbox or whatever um so I And, of course, I also was, like, scared to play games because I thought that, like, you had to be a certain level of good to play, like, the real games. But indie games, you know, especially narrative-driven games, like, it didn't – it wasn't, like, frightening me, right? So those first games that, like, I was shown, yeah, like, Papers, Please and um, We Know the Devil and I'm trying to think, like, oh, my God, what was the one? Butterfly Soup. Like, those were all, like, really – You know like (laughs) they were all like so like different from what i ever thought games had to be or could be um and and so i i really was like deeply inspired by that yeah
0: that's so interesting you were the second person on the show that has mentioned we know the devil um former vice games journalist renata price also had a formative experience with we know the devil um yeah I just I just love like just hearing what everyone says like that's that uh, one, that's a, it's such a that's, it's a that's great, an interesting it's a really really fascinating
2: great game I the first time I played it I was like what the fuck but the second time I was like the second like the first time I played it I really was like I don't know what I'm looking at and then I didn't come back to it for a few weeks and then I did at, and then I was like wait actually this is incredible.
1: <laughs> if you'll, uh, Tori, if you'll indulge me for asking a question yes. that goes off the Google Doc, but I'm I'm curious, like, so the games you mentioned uh, specifically, like Butterfly Soup and We Know the Devil, I have I've not played those, but I know that they're games that are very centered around like identity, specifically like queer identity, and like uh, you mentioned it at the beginning, but like as a as a Palestinian American and. I'm I'm sure part of this answer is probably going to be informed by the fact that we are like as of when we're recording this actively living through like what is a genocide that is occurring in Gaza, like I I'm curious whether your identity as a queer person as a Palestinian American drew you to particular stories, whether it was in comics or in games, like because like when like I, I'm I'm a white dude I'm about as white as they come but like. I I know that when I was growing up, the only Arab people that I saw in video games were like faceless bad guys that I was killing. And like I think a lot about like um I had to pull it up to remember the name of the essay, but that essay in The New Yorker from Jamil Jan Kochai, whose name I hope I'm pronouncing right, about playing Middle Gear Solid Five and like having this it's a fiction essay if neither of you have read it, but it's about having this like this like experience playing Middle Gear Solid Five, which is a game that takes place in Afghanistan. And having this moment where you're, like, imagining family members who were living in Afghanistan at the time when this, like, fictionalized version of events is taking place. And, like, Metal Gear Solid Five is far from realistic. There is, like, a fucking mech in that game. And as far as I know, there were no mechs in the war in the 80s in Afghanistan. But, like, that, this still, the resonant key in that article is still that, like, this person is playing this game... And the key way that they're resonating with it is that, like, they are the faceless baddie, you know, like, how did you reckon with that when in media you were consuming when you were growing up or?
2: Oh, I mean, I'm literally working on a graphic novel about it called Everyone's Mm -hmm. White on the Internet. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah it's literally a a graphic novel about like my time on the internet and kind of between like 2001 and 2005 and kind of like my time on like RPG forums and like anime RPG forums and all that stuff and like specifically about like choosing to be white on those forums like what did that mean you know what I mean to go by like I went by a, a name like Christy like you know why. What was that about as a, as like not even a, te- a full teenager yet, you know, like, and, and now, now I know what it's about, right? Now I know it's about like, I can see the ways in which whiteness was imposing itself on me as a young person, and I can see where all the hurt was coming from but at the time. That's not what you think, right? You think that like, there is something inherently wrong with you, that everyone around you is reacting that way right? And that's both a queer experience and a Palestinian experience but um, as a younger person I found it a lot easier to find media and and that's not to say I found it easier to be a queer person like not at all I was I was in the closet for a long time. Uh, my my family still pretty homophobic, uh, very homophobic Most of my family does not know any of this about me um, but ultimately you know that's not, Because my identities are in conflict with each other. But in fact, I think it's more about the conflict in what identities are allowed to be represented or allowed to be safe. Like, I, as a queer teen, you know, hiding my identity, was able to find, you know, uh, books about queer teens at the library or in you know or i could buy those books and then you know throw them out later so no one found out that i bought them which is what i did um but none about being palestinian you know uh so yeah i definitely think that i went for what i could see reflected but that was the one part that i never really saw unless it was in, you know, kind of the dead bodies on Call of Duty. In fact, there was, you know, I will say that uh, I had mentioned that I only really got to play video games or watch video games when I was over at a friend's. And I think at one, uh, there was one point where I was like staying over someone's place and I was playing for the first time ever Call of Duty. I think it was one of the modern warfares, but I like was having a really hard time in this one Vietnam level. And I got so mad at this one, like, Viet Cong dude that kept ambushing me. And I remember even then, like, being really uncomfortable with the anger that I was starting to develop uh, towards this other person while playing an American soldier. Um, Like, I... And then I I never played it again, because I really just didn't like that feeling at all. Um, I used to play Civilization a lot on my aunt's computer when I would stay over, but I only won cultural victories, you know, like, there there were things I wouldn't do, I would never go to war, I would give anyone anything to make them not mad, like, kind of my yeah like my my i had this kind of weird even the way that i was interacting with games and media like this kind of weird non-violent desperation of like i can be a good one just like let me in but yeah that i would say that yes like i went into a lot of i looked for a lot of stories about identity specifically but i kind of always reckoned with the fact that it was only gonna be a partial truth
0: that's yeah. That's pretty amazing. I I hate to ask this next question. This is like so cringe. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no. God,
2: we love cringe. What here. are some like,
0: <laughs> video games that stand out to you from childhood, in particular? Okay, I'm sorry
2: yeah no oh my god okay from childhood i mean i had super smash brothers Mm. on n64 and i loved it loved it loved it loved it i um i played as kirby i i'm also a a, kirby Kirby
0: only person yeah
2: (laughs) kirby only kirby elite i don't care (laughs) fight me forever it's kirby till i die um I uh, so yeah, any anything anything related to Kirby. What other games I had mentioned those cabinets. Like, yeah, no, I am a big fighting game fan. Uh specifically Marvel versus Capcom, I had so much emotional investment in that game, specifi- specifically because of Morrigan, who is fully a queer like fully like one of the reasons that I now yeah. know I'm gay. Smexy devil. Uh lady, is yeah. because of The relationship that I developed with (laughs) Morrigan as a player was unnatural, like, complete, like, just hot obsession, (laughs) like, just anything to see her, any amount of quarters just to see her pop up on that screen normal child <laughs> uh, yeah I
1: mean, everybody did it you know yeah yeah I, uh, yeah.
2: everyone I, was like I'm so glad to hear yeah.
1: somebody else who's like totally obsessed with Marvel versus Capcom though because like I don't know if I've told this story on the show or not but when I was there was like one summer when I was a kid and I got sent to the YMCA summer camp because I was too young to be left at home alone and my sister was in like preschool so they were like we're not leaving eight or eight-year-old Noah at home by himself to just like eat random food and play video games all day so I got put in the YMCA summer camp program and I remember there was like one day out of every week where they would take us to the skating rink the local skating rink in town And the only thing I remember about that skating rink is that they had a Marvel vs. Capcom cabinet. So my mom my mom would give me, like, a $10 bill, and she'd be like, buy yourself lunch. So what I would do is I would buy, like, the cheapest lunch I possibly could. That's what could I'm talking about. Cash, cash yeah. the rest of it in quarters, yeah. baby. They had yeah. a Marvel vs. Capcom yeah. machine, and they had a Simpsons arcade game cabinet. And, like, oh, my nice. God, that Simpsons arcade game, the one that's just, like, a side-scrolling beat-em-up is so fucking yeah. good. But then like as an adult or like as a teenager, I I remained really into the series too. Like a uh, Marvel versus Capcom 3 was like a comfort game that my dad and I used to play a lot of. Like we would just like play it and beat the shit out of each other and I I only like kind of learned how to play that game, but like I have I love that series so much. It's so good.
2: I I agree. I also feel like weirdly I've learned how to play many other like I've played a ton of Street Fighter mm. 6 this year, but like yeah, Marvel versus Capcom I never I also never learned how to play it i just wanted to (laughs) um yeah i just want oh my god i remember venom from that game used to give me such nightmares as a child like the way he moved really unnerved me and uh that's yeah bioshock also um i had a i borrowed it from a friend and i was so excited to play it and then there was like one point where we i was walking down this corridor that was like eerily similar to a corridor i had in my apartment down to like a skylight and then roses started falling in the game from the skylight of in bioshock and then someone started sc- like a splicer starts screaming like my roses turned off the game terrified of that hallway for like m- oh like a God. week i was like i can't go to like no i so just have
0: an aside what was the cheap lunch that you that you ate
1: If I remember correctly, it was like either a single piece of pizza and a bag of chips or just the bag of chips. Just a bag of chips. Maybe two bags of chips. I don't know. At the time, I valued valued being able to play Marvel vs. Capcom more than I did proper sustenance. (laughs) And I didn't know any of the kids in the summer camp either. And I was not a particularly outgoing kid. So I was like... Nah, dog, y'all have fun skating. I'm too klutzy anyway. I'm just going to break my fucking back. I'd rather just play Marvel vs. Capcom. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any other games that really, like, stick out to you? I- I'm really I'm really interested in you talking about, like, Call of Duty and about how, like, you could feel yourself becoming a reactionary <laughs> so you quit playing it.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I really was... I'm trying to remember, like, obviously... Like I said, Civ, I loved Civ. Um, I, uh, I did whenever... I got a chance to play sim- Sims at someone's house. I did. I was. I loved. I loved doing all the weird stuff you could do in Sims. Um. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to remember if there was like anything else that really kind of stood stood out. Uh. Hmm. I don't think so. I think. Uh. Oh my God. I almost forgot ah, Zelda. Yeah. Zelda. Um. Zelda. I. I played Ocarina of Time on GameCube and I loved it. Um I never I never did finish the game though. I think I stopped at probably the water temple like everyone else <laughs> the second time around. Probably just me and the rest of the world. Um and um oh my gosh, the one Twilight Twilight Princess I think. I I really cuz I I loved that one. I remember me and my girlfriend in high school and freshman year wanted to like cosplay as Link, and I think her name was like Mina, Midna, Midna. But then I was like, Midna's outfit is incredibly revealing, and I am 14. And then I went as Malin instead. <laughs>
0: Malin from Ocarina oh, from oh of Time. I will say Twilight yeah, Princess Malin. is a reading manga on the bookshelves of Barnes and Noble with greasy hair like that. That is a perfect. Encapsulation, uh, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of like the kids were yeah. go to Barnes and Noble on Saturday to play Yu-Gi-Oh. Like that's that is firmly that era. Nice.
2: I loved. I loved Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah.
1: So I'm curious. Pivoting to slightly more serious topic, you've. You talked pretty seriously, uh, especially recently on social media, about resistance that you've experienced in the comics world as a Palestinian person. I mean, like you, you shared a really interesting thread on Twitter that I've shared to Tori as well, where you were talking about when you were first f- um, trying to get your book Squire published, sending it to people and some of the reactions that you were getting from like, especially like white publishers who were like, well, it's got Arabic in it. Are you sure that's not too political and that kind of thing? And I'm curious if you've experienced any of that in the games industry, if you've ex- how you've navigated the pushback you've experienced in the comics industry, because like the games industry is, ha- however, however much the people at like fucking EA would like us to believe, it's not an apolitical space. Like I think a lot about uh, how outspoken Neil Druckmann was in the run up to the release of The Last of Us too, about yeah. how how his yes. his growing up in a settlement in Israel informed a lot of that and like I'm really curious where you're at with that in the game space and in the comic space
2: yeah I mean I would say that my personal experience in games because Thirsty Suitors was honestly an incredibly you know diverse team that I did not really feel any kind of needing to make kind of racial you know, excuses or, like, ex- explanations. I think that we all kind of came in, you know, um, it was Chandana, Ekenayaka, uh, Meghna, Giant, and I. Uh, so kind of all of us coming in it from it a kind of really decolonial perspective from the first place. I would say that, like, in my work, there hasn't really been, in games so far, there hasn't really been any kind of uh, pushback on on any kind of palestinianness or that perspective whatsoever you know especially considering uh who who my collaborators were you know um and you know luckily they've they've all kind of been under the same scrutiny that I did when I with the, what you said uh with squire specifically the thing that happened with squire was um I mentioned I wasn't on Tumblr, but I I do want to extend that to say I wasn't on social media at all, right? Uh, So I really didn't, like, I had a private Instagram account that I was using from, like, 2006 for, like, three people (laughs) that I knew. And then, uh, but other than that, I didn't have any social media at all. I kind of started my social media account on Twitter in 2017, I think. Um, Yeah, so I was not, like out there with, like, outspoken opinions of any kind when I was pitching in 2018. And uh, that's kind of the thing, is that I I was just a Palestinian person. This was my first project ever. I had met Sarah, who had just graduated college. She was also very young from the fandom space. Um, And... I mean, she was very on Tumblr, <laughs> but so she, 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 gave, she filled in what I lacked there. No, but, but, um, but yeah, I, I had just pitched and to be immediately kind of receiving this questioning of Squire, which is a fantasy book that both Sara and I had done enormous amounts of research on, especially kind of in the Ottoman and Byzantine empires. Like Sara went to Jordan and Turkey and did like photo research there with her family. And I was doing like a ton of reading and listening to podcasts and and kind of, and Sara was, and both of us were going through like museum archives and sending each other all this stuff and for the first comment to basically come back from multiple publishers to be like is this about israel palestine when really we were working so hard for months like on phone with each other for for hours just to kind of build a world like build a functioning world like that is like very kind of you know avatar the last airbender inspired in that it's like a trying to be like hey like if this is a world of one no white people and two uh like a culturally like kind of all within the same realm you know uh of this is a middle east with all of the diversity of the middle east all the ethno groups and races and religions but nonetheless this is like a world based on the middle east how would all of these parts fit together how would they interact with each other we came with like five different kind of regions and groups and what we were drawing maps and yeah the first thing came back was like is this about israel palestine we don't want to look like we're taking a side it was heartbreaking it was like what what is all this for you're not even gonna give me a chance I didn't say anything on social media I'm like in my early 20s I'm just like I have nothing I'm just some kid from Bay Ridge like why why I I thought it was over for me like just right then and there because like people were like oh I don't know if it's worth it to work with a Palestinian you know what I mean I felt so like immediately kind of betrayed and I cried when I got that the first emails and I really wanted to like give up right then and there. But I also understood that this was part of it, right? That like this is how you keep Palestinians out of the space. You make it impossible for them. Um, And I'm, you know, just violently stubborn, as you could probably tell from that Marvel story that I had a neighbor I hated. I went through the full experience of like, like sending out an application and interviewing just because I hated him so much. (laughs) Like, yeah, so I I kind of tapped into that and I was like, no, I'm going to just... I'm going to dig my heels in but I did have to go through the experience of going and talking in person about like how this book is about so much more than just Palestine it was honestly way more about what it felt like to be an Arab American in the early 2000s during the Iraq war that was like way more honestly the emotional bend of it than it is to be of of what it's like to be kind of uh, in the Palestinian diaspora or in occupied Palestine like I was really approaching like we both recognize like this is an incredibly Arab American story this is a very like Western framework like why are we being approached with these questions and we kind of realized that like we are or at least I definitely know that I will never be trusted. Like there is nothing I can do to earn the trust of the people around me who already have this idea because they are already seeing me as like a wild animal that could burst out of my human skin suit at any moment. So there's no real point in trying to make anyone happy or kind of, uh, kind of carve things down because um i'm not going to be given the benefit of the fact anyway there's no point in negotiating
1: yeah. you know yeah. what i
2: mean yeah there's no point yeah, in compromising you... and i think recent events have have only made that like firmer, yeah, you're, you're
1: already yeah. seen as a, as a political entity when you walk in the room i mean but...
2: basically my existence is already a problem from the get and especially because i do come from like a very cop like i'm a palestinian christian how does that complicate things if all palestinians are hamas and they all want the same thing all right i'm an indigenous palestinian christian from bethlehem explain (laughs) yeah do you know like that's kind of the thing is that like my entire i'm also queer i'm also like type one diabetic like there's a lot of things that kind of throw a wrench in in people's perceptions from the get-go, and that is already a a very, uh, it's very problematic. Palestinians and Arabs have already known from the get, you know, kind of like the media is is against us, right? Is like, and the thing is that when you're young, you start to believe that about yourself, and I did um, for a long time, but uh, it's kind of through stuff like reading Edward Said and stuff in college which is kind of why I I ended up with doing Squire in the first place is because I was like both Sarah and I were like okay if we wanted to make something for ourselves back then in in 2000s you know what would it be to kind of help us navigate this and that's what Squire ended up being but you know and and what's nice is that like I would say my time in games kind of more closely matches maybe my time in the IP space where it's sort of like there's a framework presented and I am there and I get to kind of give me, like give my point of view. I definitely take a lot of my IP stuff from like a fanfic perspective, right? Where I'm like, this is my version of these characters. So I'm going to play it up as like, as as version-y as I want, you know what I mean? Like I'm not looking to do a definitive version of the character i'm looking to do with what i want to do and what what i want to have fun with so i would say that my stuff in thirsty suitors is there like it's kind of like it's in the world that that you know megna and eka made but uh i got to really come up with a ton of stuff and to really like put in my kind of uh sense of humor and my sensibilities and and all of that stuff yeah yeah even down to like designing, like like some of the battle cool. design stuff too, which was was definitely nice to learn. I yeah. just
1: want to say, uh, Tori, before you move on to the next question, that I I'm feeling feeling very vindicated by the fact that you mentioned like Edward Said is a specific I- influence when writing Squire, because like as somebody who also read Said in college for like courses I was taking and stuff, I was kind of like feeling that vibe when I was reading Squire, but I I was I was. A f- oh yeah. yeah, I
2: mean Squire is. Dedicated to Edward Said. I kind of forgot (laughs) about that
1: and I was afraid that I was you know that tweet that's like guy who's only seen boss baby. I'm getting real boss baby vibes from Yes, (laughs)
2: and this seems a lot like boss baby. Oh no no no, that's so fun God, that's such a a great great tweet. tweet. But yeah, no no no. You are totally you were totally on the money. And the thing about Neil Truckman is just like I'll take my moment, I guess, is that um I'm I'm pretty My thing about games, I think, is that I just wish that there was a bigger interest in exploring empathy outside of violence. I think that it is easy to talk about cycles of violence when you are the one who is making sure that the cycle continues, right? Like, I think that there's not actually a lot said in The Last of Us beyond kind of the individual gruffness. I think The Last of Us 1 was about a man dealing with emotions, which is why it was so successful, because that was something that I think that, you know, a man dealing with having to have emotions in a violent world is a... is a thing that men can deal with and and recognize but i think that when you start to try to uh, have conversations about human nature i think that it is really exhausting to argue that human nature comes from a inherently violent place i think that is or a very inherently destructive place that that is like what we want to do and humanity is overcoming that. I think that that's uh, a really dark way of looking at things an inherently unempathetic one that we are all kind of having to restrain ourselves or teach ourselves in order not to destroy one another. That is weird um and that is a, again shows me that you are looking at the world through a framework of violence which makes sense why your game's main purpose is to interact with the world through violence um if you make me shoot a dog and then tell me i'm bad for shooting a dog but you didn't give me an option for not shooting a dog i don't think i that was me i think you made me shoot a dog and uh you know how I can avoid shooting that dog? I can turn off your yeah. game,
1: and then you can trade it in at the game store. and you know, get money to put towards something else.
2: <laughs> yep, and go play a game where I don't shoot a dog. Like I do, you know what I mean? Like I, what are you telling me here? That like violence is bad? Thanks. Okay, who needed that reminder? America, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like I just am like okay, thank you for the lesson? Question mark. Uh, nonetheless um, The Last of Us is not as good as you think it is guys I promise it, there's there's other stuff out there it'll make you really happy have you considered Evangelion? <laughs> like <laughs> just consider yeah, it, Evangelion it's kind of like
0: everyone's um, not everyone but some people just like can't stop talking about Harry Potter and yeah, it's like the read of yes. books you can play other games and like i'm saying this as a person yes, who like you, you, you a- really actually can. really enjoyed the last of Us tv show as like a gripping zombie tv show like there are other there are other ones
2: there are other yeah. ones it's okay <laughs> definitely definitely yeah like guys we can let this one go there's other good stuff will happen i promise maybe maybe even better stuff who just free yourselves it's beautiful <laughs>
1: Tori you did also 100% clock the Avatar The Last Airbender vibe of it too so yeah that's nice job
2: that's true
0: I yes. something about the main character just reminded me of sort of like Aang and Toph I think it was like the hubris of, uh, of her and yeah I, I really something about her living her parents yeah that, that very much like reminded a- me
2: of Toph actually Toph is such a favorite <laughs> character of mine, too. I, I really, like, truly just deep in my heart, especially because, like, again, I, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was six, so seeing, I think, like, another disabled kid be so fucking oh, cool, yeah, yeah yeah, like, fuck, yeah, that thank makes, God. Because yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, because most of the time, those stories are always like, I wish I wasn't yeah. disabled, but at the same time, I have learned to be yeah, better. It's your superpower. It's my superpower. Yeah. My superpower is inspiring you, non-disabled yeah. person. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's like, no, it's cool for Toph to just be like, no, I I kick ass unapologetically. I refuse to yeah. learn. I, I really liked Squire.
0: Um, yeah. I loved the individual characters. Um, one moment that really gripped me was, I'm really bad at remembering names, uh, just full You're good. Full disclosure. But there's one character who there's a whole scene where everyone's like writing letters back to their parents, which I thought was really beautiful. And there's one scene where a character is like, please don't respond to me because I don't want you to spend what little money you have on paper to write me back. And like, God, that was so heartbreaking. Like that's so real. Um Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Great story. And Noah read Where Black Stars Rise So Mm. if you want to take that.
1: I I wanted to ask because, like, we've been talking a lot about Squire and, like, for people listening who haven't already Googled the book and or, like, haven't already ascertained an idea of what it's about from the conversation. Like, you know, uh, fantasy set in, like you said, Nadia, like a very Middle Eastern inspired setting and about, like, questioning power structures and about questioning, like, an idea that you've been fed since you were a kid about empire and whether whether it's good frankly and whether the the benevolence of a military (laughs) structure and that kind of thing
2: yeah i mean that's kind of the thing is that if you're an arab american then you are very aware of the fact that your tax dollars are going to go fund weapons especially as a palestinian that are going to go be used i mean my mom was in college in bethlehem during the first intifada and she told me that when she would you know when she was like out on the street uh when the tear tank when the tear gas t- canisters would fall on them they would always say made in america right in like big letters like made in usa right i mean even it, it was to the point where i remember in 2020 on uh, nakba day in bay ridge we had kind of that was like probably the biggest pro one of the biggest protests i saw um in bay ridge growing up but uh my mom came out with, with me and a friend, and every time we would, like, cross, go a street, my mom would, like, point out a choke point. She would be like, so if we were in Palestine, this is usually where they would come and, like, close it off, and, uh, you know, like, you see that fire escape? We would maybe try to get up there, and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, so it's kind of always been around and and kind of in my in my world um and that's kind of the thing is that like yeah squire is about a young girl who grew up in kind of in the heart of empire let's say um but she is a second class citizen she doesn't have the full rights of of a, of a you know a citizen who was not born of this conquered ethnic group and of this conquered territory so as a result she joins the military in order to kind of uh elevate herself and kind of get the life she always wanted but the thing is she also really believes in what the empire is selling her it's like telling her that like if we take over everything it will be better we will treat people better there's no reason for war the people who are keeping us from conquering them are actually the problem uh and she buys it because that's where she was raised and kind of the point of the story is her going through military training going through kind of the propaganda of what you know versus at home versus what you are being taught at school and figuring out what does she do yeah you know
1: and uh, what i'm what i was especially interested in too because i read i read another one of your graphic novels first where black stars rise that you also wrote for and i mean Tonally, aesthetically, it could not be more different than Squire, you know, because it's this one is instead very grounded in like this this eldritch, freaky, modern setting following following an Arab American therapist and navigating their own mental health crises and helping others with their mental health crises. And, and I'm wondering, like, so you, you've written these two, but you've also written, like, Miss Marvel, and you've written stuff in the IP world, too. Like, is there is there a through line for you in your works that maybe it goes into the game space, too? Like, is there is there a through line in the stuff that you're interested in writing about?
2: I definitely think so, yeah. I think that there's a through line in that I am definitely always kind of interested in, like, you know, Arab American characters, Muslim characters, Middle Eastern characters, kind of like anyone kind of who shares a cultural similarity with me, even in my IP work, like I've done, you know, kind of a lot of the Batman stuff I've done has always included Talia al Ghul, because that's like one of my favorite characters. And also she's, I love finally, I mean, Talia al Ghul is a character who has been written so racistly just for so long and her whole like character and legacy is just absolute trash as a result of the in- horrible different ways in which she's ran because she's never treated as a person she's either like a sex pot or like an evil tiger mom <laughs> it's or just, true like, i feel like, in, evil, the, like, in, know, the like video, in the in the Christopher Nolan movies she's just
0: like a lady that Batman fucks once and <laughs>
2: it's like anyway <laughs> no fully that's the thing but the thing is is that like weirdly weirdly this like thing about her is so real which is that like a lot of Arab women and I think women in general will kind of force themselves to like take on these kind of different versions of themselves and never really get to know themselves like they'll take on versions of like wife mother daughter um and they will like just kind of facilitate between those faces and like not really have the time to figure out what's underneath that and I think that that like is the thing that draws me to a character like Talia that I'm like okay I know this is racism but also weirdly this is emotionally resonant for me um, and I think that that's the thing is that like I need to find something emotionally resident there's something really emotionally resident even in Batman for me as as this man with ultimate power Who hates himself so much that he has to find ways to disempower himself and be attacked so that he can, like, find catharsis? Like, I find that really fascinating. Um, I, I, I find, you know, yeah, I think that that I have to, like,
0: yeah, like. He, yeah, he is kind of, like,
2: basochistic. Like, yeah. he has everything. He's, like, he's he has everything. He has money, power, he's untouchable, literally. He cannot be touched by the violence of the world. So he has to put himself in a position where he gets the shit beaten out of him, and everyone around him dies because he can't live otherwise. He can't live in the comfort of being the winner of the fucking world even though he was born that way it's fascinating to me i'm like love that like yeah i think that you know ms marvel there's some obviously something incredibly emotionally resonant in that character in that she reflects so much of what i was when i was a young teenager just like this nerdy person trying to navigate like the weird feelings of being caught between kind of an american identity and a diaspora one like there's and also just kind of the the way her family is is so real to me. I'm like, I totally, I've met families like this. I've met girls like this. So that's the thing is like, there has to be something really recognizable for me there and something that I want to explore emotionally with these characters. Um, Because the truth is about my writing is that none of it has really changed in the sense that I am still writing to understand things. I'm still writing to process things. So even with IP work, like I will look for something that will allow me to explore or process something within the framework of the IP with the tools that, you know, with these tools that I don't own, essentially like what can i say with someone else's toys that about their toys that means a lot to me you know uh that's kind of how i how i tackle ip a lot yeah so and and uh the thing about the difference in tone is that like i hate being pinned down like i hate i get bored so quickly I want to do everything I think that all of my work always kind of falls somewhere in the speculative fiction line kind of in the sci-fi fantasy or uh horror space especially I'm a big horror fan I love writing horror but um yeah I think that there always is some kind of element of like power memory identity kind of like uh tension but like yeah But it's across the board i want to tackle it from a totally different way every time i i you know if i did something i usually don't want to do it again yeah yeah
0: so this is the question we ask everyone people love it and hate it but it is could you it doesn't have to be in any particular order but what are your
2: top five favorite video games all right, I am gonna put Paper Please up there, Papers Please up there for sure, because I think that that game is incredible. Um, have you mm-hmm. played
1: um, Have you played Return of the Obra? Dude? I'm
2: playing it right now. Oh, yeah. It's
1: so, yeah. Good. yeah. It's so good.
2: Yeah. So good. Yeah. Oh okay. my God. Okay, favorite games. Um, hmm. I really loved Inscript. Oh, is it a favorite? God, this is a hard one. You're right. This is a hard one. I'm like, dang. What are some favorite games? Um, okay. Uh, so yeah, I will put Papers, Please up there. I will put, uh, Darkest Dungeon up there. I love that game. Um, I will put Cult of the Lamb up there. I know that that's also a recent one, but I really, really, man, that's, that's a a really great game. It's such a great, like, like, it's so cute. Everything works about it. I turn off my brain. I play it forever. I have hundreds of hours in that silly game. Um, i'm trying to think like what's like i feel like i'm just saying favorites of stuff that i played recently because my my memory is so shot lately but you know what yeah yeah i think i'm just gonna give you like recent favorites um yeah that's fine yeah um what else have i played recently that i really really loved um maybe i played uh I've been playing Pentiment. I'm still playing Pentiment, but I really, I do really, really am cool. really enjoying Pentiment. I think there's a lot working. Dredge. Oh my God. Dredge was amazing. I love Dredge. Dredge was, a, I, I played the hell out of Dredge. Um, Which one is it's Dredge? It's like a, yes. Oh, that's yes, this one. It's really, it's really good. You know,
1: can you tell us a little bit about dredge though because i've seen this before but i don't think you oh yeah you so dredge
2: this. is basically like an eldritch fishing game so you play as like <laughs> y- yes <laughs> it's so good you just you fish these weird fish and everything is kind of uh it's it's a, like a pretty like not too sh- not too long game it's like nice you know kind of what, like, six, eight-hour chunk, which I really enjoy. But I feel like, yeah, all of it just kind of works together. Like, the sound design works together. I like the world. Uh, there's There's just a lot working for it. And, you know, I'm trying to think... There's a game like sorry i'm literally looking at my steam right now to try to think about games that i'm like damn what are my favorite games and there's a game that i played when i first played it i was like i I was like oh this is fine but the more i think about it the more i'm like damn there's something special about this it's wide ocean big jacket i don't it's it's man the more i think about this game the more i'm like there's like they capture a feeling so well and i think that's something that i always really like if you can make a vibe if you can like engross me in the feeling of your world i'm i'm just really more so than just telling a good story like i want to i want to feel it you know yeah like i don't need the story to be big or or anything in any way most of the time i actually prefer like like it, i was actually saying this about spider-man too is that like my fate like god i love the miles miles side quest stuff incredible all of the the side, just really fantastic like god that neighborhood spider-man stuff just really resonates yeah Yeah. the wide ocean big jacket very emotionally it just works
1: yeah that's really cool um i think you've already kind of started steering there but it, we always do here for the, the second chunk of the show is we talk about what we've been playing. So we, we use the verb playing pretty loosely to talk largely about media we've been consuming, whether it's games or not. But I, I you've already started mentioning a couple of the games you've been playing. And I, I know we both kind of perked up early on when you mentioned Spider-Man, because I'm interested to hear like, from a comic writer perspective like how you're enjoying Spider-Man. I
2: personally think and I feel like this is going to be a really controversial opinion, but I think video games are a better medium for superhero stories than comics. I think that... Oh, that's
0: an interesting take. Yeah,
2: and I have actually thought this for a very long time. Uh, I thought this with the... I think I thought this back even with the Batman games. Like, I feel like somehow this works better for superhero stories than comics. I think a big part of it is that obviously, one, you are playing as the superhero, like, you are playing as Spider-Man. You are playing as Batman. Um, you are playing as the hero in question. And kind of you figuring out how to play the game matches you figuring out their powers. Like, you know, you, like defeating someone, like, really strong matches how terrifying it feels for the hero. Um, I think also that because these games can be so long and sprawling and have multiple, like, little side missions and storylines, like, that is more, and the fact that you can kind of run around to different places and you have to, like, explore, like, all of that just seems more in line with like what that's you know if I am approaching story from the perspective of like you know kind of really putting you in the emotional space and like guiding you through an experience where everything comes together seamlessly that I'm like yeah I think that games work better for superheroes it's just it's the power fantasy you you get to play as them you get to decide what kind of like you get to figure out your powers you get to develop relationships with your people you know you get to yeah you get to like customize your suit like all of this stuff is just like you know comics are are great are a beautiful form and i think there are a lot of stories including squire that really only work as comics um, but, no, not capes. I think capes are meant to be in video games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, I love, I've been loving Spider-Man, too. I've been really enjoying it. Yeah.
0: Is there any other games or media you want to
2: shout out that you've been enjoying lately? Oh, man, what have I been... Oh, yes, you know what? There is a show called shore that people... <laughs> I moved to Canada three years ago and nothing has made me love Canada more like this show Shorzy, which is by the same (laughs) people who made Letterkenny. Um, And it is a show about like a really third, like, like trash third league, like, garbage senior no-show hockey, like just, you know, just like small town Ontario Canadian hockey. Um, And it's so Canadian as a show, every single line is a Canadian in-joke, it's incredible. But honestly, the thing that like shocked me the most was one, stylistically, it is so stylish it's like i love the way that they do the cinematography i love the music they pick but the thing that's like shocking is just how much yeah how much they make you care by the end of season one like like you think it's all ridiculous and jokes and it's all these meatheads but like i love when stories kind of explore the space of like failure kind of i think that um i love when like stories kind of explore like what does it mean to to lose and to keep going even though you lose over and over and over i mean inside lewin davis is one of my favorite movies for that reason of like kind of what's it like to just constantly fall short you know of your own fucking expectations and dreams and desires and like The thing about that is that, like, with sports, like, I was not a sports person at all, but, like, with Shorzy, it really kind of got into the fact that, like, even if you are, like, you've got nothing, like, you've got nothing, like, this sport is killing you, you're, like, just, there's nothing else going on for you, like, you, you find something there with each other through the violence, through the loss, like, no matter how many times you lose as a team, you just there's something tying you there and I'm like there's something keeping you there um and that's like yeah so Shorzy is an incredibly funny incredibly absurd stupid Canadian show that also like really hits at the heart of like I guess like why the why do we do anything like why do we do anything it just because because you love it you know what I mean because you love it so much yeah yeah. I mean it it's wild like because I've like I've spent so many hours thinking about Shorzy, which is why I'm like going waxing philosophical. Like you're gonna watch the show and it's all like the stupidest joke you've ever seen and it's all just guys fighting. Um but like I'm like, No, I believe guys, I'm telling you, Shorzy! <laughs>
0: yeah. No, it's good to have a good unemployment game. I had this experience
2: Yeah, this is an amazing unemployment game.
0: Yeah, I had this experience earlier this year, and I was uh, furloughed. And Tears of the Kingdom, fantastic <laughs> unemployment game.
1: What are you What are you playing, Tori? What are you playing in between having an actual job? Yeah, now that like I have a real job, Tears of the Kingdom? Yeah.
0: So I'm going to start with a spooky movie because it's Halloween time. Um Uh-oh. I play I I played I watched A24's uh twenty two twenty twenty two 2022 horror movie Talk to Me. Um good movie. Like the premise is so dumb. Like basically the premise is also takes place in australia which i thought was interesting i've never watched a, cool. any media that is taking place in australia that is not like national geographic adjacent <laughs> so it's cool to see like just real australians doing non like crocodile shit yeah so good good australian representation i guess um
1: <laughs>
0: in australia give me,
1: give me the give me the elevator pitch this, okay because i'm not i'm not even a little familiar bunch with- of
0: kids in australia play a party game that involves touching the, like, I think like porcelain cast of a dead person's
2: hand. Wait, I and... thought it was their oh. actual hand.
0: Yeah, I think well, it, it is like a, a dead hand. It's like right? a dead, but it's like a, it's like, a dead it's like psychic's
2: in... hand. but It's like in a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've also, yeah. I also like this movie. Yeah, so. a bunch
0: of Australian jeans use this as like a party game. You touch the hand, you say, talk to me, and then a dead person will appear in front of you. And then you say like, uh, "I'll let you inside" or something like that, and they possess you basically. And it's everyone's like, "Ooh, are, are you gonna do the talk to me game?" And like, whatever, which is sounds like a horrible fucking idea, um, yeah, and right. it and it is. Um, and so, basically, one kid does it, and he gets like severely injured. Like the the talk to me spirit. Also,
2: the main character's uh, mother had uh, passed away by yeah. her own hand, pre pre, pre prior to the events, yeah, of the film, and that's kind of also a big thing motivating her, as she really wants to talk to her. Yeah, mom she wants to talk to her mom.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's there's two there's two main threads. One one kid gets his fucking brains bashed in because the talk to me spirit makes him smash his head against the wall and then number two is that main character her mom just died recently and she's like what if i took the talk to me hand with me back home back to my bedroom so i can like talk to my mom at night which is again a horrendous fucking idea
1: sounds like about the worst possible idea yeah
0: Yeah. um and so chaos ensues people die all sorts of crazy shit happens toe-sucking Whoa. People running into oncoming traffic, just like, just like, you know how A twenty four is like a very specific, like demented type of horror. Like it's, it's yeah. not like oh, spooky cheesy, like sort of Freddy Krueger. It's like hereditary. It's yeah, like a different type yeah. Of fucked. Yeah. It, like this, this type, this taps into that, and I love that. And guess, Man, they suck in and toes. And I love though. that. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, they, they suck. In, they suck in toes out here, though. They
1: suck in toes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It It got me thinking because, like, this is my third A twenty four horror movie I've watched. I've watched Hereditary when it came out. I watched Midsummer. I've watched this one, and one common theme that seems to unite all A twenty four horror movies is like family annihilation. Like, oh yeah, have you seen the Witch? I I have literally
2: right here. I have like a huge poster of the Witch.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, the Florence Pugh's little sister in Midsummer killing her parents. Um, one of the characters in Talk to Me killing her father. Like, it, it, there's there's something about like family murder and like that that they really tap into. And when it's done right, it's like really fucked. And they they
2: do it perfectly. I've not seen The Witch, but like, oh, it's, I need to. It's a, it's a huge favorite. I yeah, I i liked uh, i liked midsummer i have like i feel like i'm on the fence about midsummer still i really loved helva hereditary Uh, i really liked talk to me um yeah i mean like you said i did write a entire eldritch horror graphic novel um about a therapist following her former client into carcosa and uh attempting to find her uh amidst having to relive a bunch of her own trauma in Carcosa yeah so I'm like I also really like um, I also really like it when bad things happen <laughs> <You know? laughs> in spooky ways yeah I uh
0: besides that um I've been playing more Mario Wonder um I mentioned this I've- last week
1: I've been wanting to talk to you about this since last week cuz I wasn't on the show last week. I edited the show though, and I'm listening to you and Nathaniel talk about how like you're not crazy about Mario Wonder at the outset. And I felt like I was like banging on the walls. I was like, I want to. You're ask like, "Let more me in." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like okay. where are you at with it now? Like I'm I, really curious about this. I
0: will say it's starting to grow on me. I I got through my first like Bowser e Castle level, and we also went through a level where we died several times. Which I was scared. I was scared that wouldn't happen because the first like two hours of the game, I'm like, this is too easy. Because like those Super Mario 2D side, like th- those are like real struggle buses. Like you are dying, you are struggling out here, and Mario Wonder the first two hours were just really easy, and I was like, oh no, like this they made this they didn't make this for me, um, and now I'm like, okay, they they did they did make it for me. Um, I am really enjoying. Um, the water level it does something really interesting with the camera view because you know like in these 2d mario games you're just like side scrolling to get next section and scrolls and there's this one like water level where instead of doing this it flips and you're almost looking at mario almost like you're looking down at like a board game
1: whoa yeah like like, like an old zelda game yeah like Like... a
0: yeah yeah like an old zelda game and it just like really threw me off and I died mm-hmm. a couple times because I was just like not expecting that shift in like gravity and and walking and like, oh shit, the Goomba is like next to me. I can't jump over him really like it just uh, yeah, it kind of broke my brain a little bit. and uh yeah, it was it was really good. I, I've been really liking it. Uh, I've been liking it more than I did last week. so
1: nice yeah i i haven't picked it up yet um because i've been kind of broke lately but um there was a really good discussion about it on the latest episode of um into the aether the the video game podcast and the two of them kind of pointed out something that i hadn't really thought about a lot that the last big mario 2d side-scrolling game technically were the mario maker games you know so it's like where do you go when you have now given all the tools to the player and said, make your own stuff now. And, like, people love those games. Like, Mario Maker was mega successful. And, it, like, based on the reviews I've heard, it sounds like it largely does live up to the promise of, like, giving you something that you couldn't make in Mario Maker, you know? And that's pretty exciting to me.
0: Yeah. Um, and then besides that, we are both on the same page on Final Fantasy <sighs> X. We have gotten to a part where... um. I there. We're gonna have to like grind for two weeks, bro. Like, I don't.
1: Yeah. Well. Okay. So, like, <laughs> for is... context, for God. Nadia, have you played Final Fantasy X? Or, I um... have
2: not played Final Fantasy X. I've played Final Fantasy before, but not X. No.
1: Okay. Um, for for you, Nadia, and for listeners, we are now at the stage of the game, and this is really interesting. And I know we're gonna talk so much more in depth about this when we record a whole fucking episode about that game. But like, most of these games, like open up earlier you know they like let you explore the world more sooner this game was like it's going to be linear for 89 percent of it and then it's like all right cool here's your airship you can now go explore the rest of the world and then just go fight the final boss like so we're both like you immediately went and rushed the final boss and
0: failed miserably
1: (laughs) That's fucking crazy. No, I, I
0: had a bit of, like, a anxious breakdown because I was like, this boss is so hard. It's one of those things you have to, like, kill him in, like, ten turns mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh. But, like, he has, like, a, a million health. And so, like, it's just mathematically impossible for me to do that much damage in that little time. And I was just like, do I just need to bash my head against the wall and go grind somewhere for a month? Like, that's what I'm thinking. And then I went on Reddit. And people... This game is 25 years old, so there's, like anime forums you know the ones yeah. i'm talking about yeah, yeah that are like still love... somehow alive like these links are still live which is honestly amazing someone should archive i'm them. loving
1: that about this game like if i get stuck up against something i google it and i get like a game faqs forum from 2002 i literally saw one <laughs> like from awesome.
0: 2001 i'm like let's go <laughs> um but they're like, oh, so you should go back and reface all of Yuna's Aeons. Except they're like three times oh, as hard. Yeah. And you have to you have to face like a, to, to get like this one crazy like busted Aeon. Yeah. You have to reface yeah. all the previous Aeons and reface Unaleska, and And if you mm-hmm. do all that and do all this crazy shit, you get like 99,000 HP. And I was like, dog, I'm at 3,000 HP. Like what kind of fucking planet are you guys on? I do not have time. Yeah. I have a job. I don't have time for this. And so yeah. I found a YouTube video from, like, nine years ago of someone defeating the boss at a level that is not much higher than me. And I've just been studying it. The way, like, football players look at tapes of other <laughs> NFL games. I'm like, what? what is the strat? Okay. So, like, apparently the key to this fight is having hastega. Mm.
1: And I don't yeah. have me- I have haste. Mega haste, yeah.
0: I just... I just don't have Hastega, so I need to get one of my guys to a point where they can get Hastega. we will probably be, pro- be Oren, but like that's where I'm at.
1: This is so funny because I think this says so much more about me than it does the game. I got the airship and I was like, I'm heading back to that place where the Chocobos were and I'm going to do some Chocobo racing, baby. <laughs> that was the first thing I did. I immediately went to the Chocobo side quest. So, um, I I think that just says uh, when I played Final Fantasy 7 when I was in high school um I had a similar thing where like you get to the point where you can go face Sephiroth and I was like time to go smash this motherfucker um and I got there and he destroyed me yeah. and so then I googled uh how how do I beat Sephiroth idiot proof and the game was <laughs> in the internet was like the the game faqs forms from 2001 were like you gotta get the special summon ability that is locked behind the chocobo side quest and so i proceeded to spend like another 10 hours of that game breeding and racing chocobos and that's just like every final fantasy game gets to a point like this where they're like i know the world's about to end but like you want to go race birds and i'm a sucker for it it gets me every fucking time i just love them (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think that instead of refacing all of the Aeons try I know I-, I actually pulled up to one of these Aeons. I pulled up. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's just do it. I'll just be miserable the whole time. Yeah. I pulled up and it it did ten thousand damage on my entire party.
1: Nice. And I was just I like, love video games.
0: Okay, so I guess I'm gonna be racing Chocobos. Like this is this yep. is the idiot proof <laughs> way to beat this game. So that's pretty what? much all for me. What about you, Noah?
1: Um, so Talk about something spooky, ooh, con- confronting my own mental health. I'm replaying Celeste, ooh, <laughs> spooky. Um, <laughs> I fucking love this game so much. Um, uh, has everybody on the call played Celeste?
2: I have not. I okay. have. I
1: have. You have? Um, Nadia, are you aware of Celeste yes. all, or all? I- okay, so so I don't need to tell you that it's like a 2d platformer with some of the tightest platforming in video games. Yes. And I've heard that is a
2: total masterpiece. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's fucking incredible. It's, uh, it's about like conquering or coming to accept your own anxiety and depression. And it's also kind of about transing your gender and it's a, it's a fantastic game. Um, when when mario came out i was like you know i really don't want to spend six dollars on mario this week but i do really want to play a platformer and i just went back and i booted up celeste and like i the first time i cleared this game since then they have added content to it and i remember when the final chapter came out as a free download i was in college and i was like time to hit this up and it, it had been too long since I had played the game that like my muscle memory of it was not strong enough to power through it. And so I was like, I have not beaten you, but someday I will come back to you. So I, I my goal this time is to like beat all of Celeste, at least all the main stages, because um, for every level you clear, you unlock, you can unlock what's called a B-side version of it. Like it's a cassette tape or a record, like you flip it over. And the B-side is um, just harder versions of that same platforming mechanic. And it's fucking incredible, but, like, playing some of those, I'm, like, I just don't, I don't feel like I, like, my fingers can do that, you know, like, I'm just not sure, I'm not sure I can even wrap my head around some of them, um, but I'm loving it, I'm loving it so much, especially, like, having experienced, like, some of the the worst anxiety of my life this past, the past couple of months, as well as, like, a, a really fun depressive episode, like, uh, when, Like, that game definitely hit the first time I play it, but, like, early on in the game, there's a sequence where, like, Madeline, the main character, for people who aren't as familiar with Celeste, like, you're following this character, Madeline, her life is kind of, like, crumbling around her, and she's losing control of her her, uh, mental illness, and so she decides that she's gonna climb this fucking mountain, she's like, I'm gonna do it, I need a fucking win, I'm gonna climb this mountain, and shortly like after you clear the first chapter of the game, there's a sequence where like she has started the ascension of the mountain. She's kind of freaking out a little bit and she stops at the payphone and she calls her mom. And her mom is like, Oh honey, are you freaking out again? Are you freaking out in public? And I was like like that hit really hard. Like as as somebody who like has experienced like really bad panic attacks. Like it's so hard to explain that to somebody who doesn't know what you're experiencing. And so many people for with the best intentions imaginable can still come off as like patronizing because they they don't know, they don't know what you're experiencing. They don't understand that like your brain is fully firing on like you're gonna die, you're gonna die, cylinders. And man, it's just it's such a good game. I love it so much. Um, and I invited my buddy Cam over for dinner last night and he turned on my switch and just started fucking speed running Celeste. And I was like, He like turned on the speed run clock and just started going for it. And this is a game that I left the speed run clock on. My current playthrough, I'm on the second to last chapter and I've played it about eight hours. He made it to where I was in, like, 45 minutes. And I was like, how in the fuck did you do that? And he was like, yeah. At one point, I had, like, a solid 55, 50-55 minute run of Celeste just in my back pocket. And I was like, that's fucking insane that you just have that. So I was just, like, watching him pull these fucking movement strats that I didn't even know were possible. So good game. Great game. Um. Go play Celeste. It's all it's on everything and it's like on sale constantly and support cool indie devs. Yes. Um my other sorry, Nadia, were you gonna say something? Oh,
2: I was gonna say just yep, support cool <laughs> just yes, support <laughs> cool indie devs. Of um, speedrunning fucks. I love speedrunning. I watch G D Q every year. Uh, yeah. yeah, big fan.
1: I, I'm not somebody who like I don't think I've got like the ability to speak oh yeah no, me neither no but I love watching Same. It. I love people just like shattering. yeah ink. it's it's
2: like, very cool it's very cool to see yeah. I love watching people just like go through just 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 ah oh, man just again it's about that interactivity right like who like mm-hmm. it's just so cool to see someone just break everything just in the yeah. bo- and like in or just be so just technical it's just it's just yeah yeah just amazing to see people do something unbelievably well yeah
1: yeah i uh a, a couple of years ago i was watching gdq and it was a it was a run of one of the castlevania games on the game boy i forget which one it is it's like aria of something or other and um it's like aria of I sorrow like, right yes yeah the one where you play as the the white-haired emo kid yeah like, i love that's a fun one um I, like, I hadn't played that one, but I was familiar with it, and then I ended up playing it after that. But, I, like, they start this playthrough, and the clock starts ticking, and the guy, like, proceeds into the first room of this game. And then immediately does some, like, freaky jump thing, so that he's at, like, the top of the screen and just, like, gliding past all the enemies. That it's so funny. It's like, you see these people start these speedruns, and it takes, like, T-minus three seconds for them to just immediately break the game. Um, it's great. The, the other thing I want to shout out that I'm uh, consuming, I guess, is I, I've str- I'm rewatching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood with um, my partner and our friend Cameron. And it's kind of a fun dynamic because uh, he, my friend Cam has seen it more recently. It hasn't been that long since he watched the show. I read the manga when I was in high school and my partner has not seen it and doesn't really know much about it. So it's creating this fun dynamic where it's like she doesn't know what's happening. I kind of know what's happening and he like really knows what's happening and is kind of like chuckling at us having reactions to things. But like the last show that the three of us all kind of marathon slowly together was The Last Airbender and it, it's kind of blowing me away like I'm seeing a lot of head shakes like everybody on this in this group has watched or ha- consumed in some way Fullmetal Alchemist question mark
2: yeah um it's it's funny you say that because uh the two inspirations for squire were avatar and fma uh fma was like massively formative for me as uh, i read it and i watched brother i watched the original and i watched brotherhood and uh i genuinely consider the manga and and brotherhood to be like the perfect like closest to perfect storytelling as you can probably get to and it is literally like The north star for me like whenever i'm like okay if i want to like what do i want like what do i want to do how do i do good storytelling i'm looking to fma
1: yeah i i think the thing that is so incredible to me and it's funny because like my my partner is not somebody who's really watched much anime and like as somebody who really got into anime when i was in high school and like really fell in love with the medium and like what can be done with it I I pitched Fullmetal Alchemist to some people as, like, grown-up avatar, and I think watching it now, I realize more and more, like, how much those those pieces of art are, like, in conversation with each other in some ways, because Fullmetal Alchemist is just, like, it's so fascinating the way... Considering so much anime that is aimed at that at like the shonen age group. And I, I don't think I don't think Full Metal Alchemist is going for like the teenagers who are gonna like buy like Dragon Ball Z T shirts necessarily. It's going for like a slightly older demographic. But like the way it does a single overarching story rather than the the typical style of like disparate arcs, like the 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 uh, the chunin exam arc in naruto and then the next arc and the next arc like it's really fascinating the way full metal alchemist is really feels like just one continuous story yeah. and it's it's incredible and like watching it like i almost i'm almost worried that like i'm spoiling my partner for like good anime storytelling and oh, then anything man. we watch <laughs> after this is like cuz it's like watching it it's like it it has so much to say and it's got such an interesting setting And like I was I was blown away just watching some of the episodes the way like characters have like multiple different skin tones and like the way the world looks just resembles like a real actual functioning world rather than like whatever like and I say this lovingly because I really enjoy anime but like whatever fetish like the (laughs) the artist might have for like a particular body type or a particular like facial structure you know like. No hate to, like, One Piece, but, like, every woman in One Piece looks the same. They look like there's two different body types in One Piece for women. Like, it's it's just such a fascinating piece of media. And it's kind of fun because when I started watching... I started with the anime when I was a kid, and I watched, like, the first half of the 2003 anime. And then I read that the 2003 anime eventually diverges from the manga. And I think at the time, Brotherhood, like, wasn't finished airing. So it was, like everything i read was like just go read the manga and luckily the library system where i was like grew up in central florida had like 85 percent of the manga just in the library system which ruled so i read the manga and then when brotherhood was done and it was on streaming services i watched like the first 10 or 15 episodes but i was like i feel like i've just like read this recently enough like i'm good and so now coming back to it with like not fully fresh eyes but like fresh enough eyes that the story feels fresh in a lot of ways and i still don't feel like i've seen much that has surpassed the level of storytelling the show has so in conclusion haruma Arakawa is the fucking goat and full Metal alchemist is so good
2: yeah similarly my partner also didn't really do you know because my i didn't grow up with video games but my partner didn't grow up with anime so that was kind of the thing that we are like kind of introduced to each other in a lot of way ways um But yeah, no, uh, FMA, I, I think, especially the thing you said about FMA and Avatar being in conversation, I think the thing for me that has always been so fascinating to me is that Avatar is, you know, a Western story set in, like, it's sort of like, FMA is kind of like about a story with a western main character with like a like a very obviously like german inspired kind of main kind of uh, arc like it's it's a, sort of like a story about the west from an eastern perspective and i feel like avatar is almost the opposite of it's a story kind of a like within or about a representation of the east uh from like a very western perspective so i think that it's kind of interesting to see the way that those two kind of change and merge i I, in fact i would make an argument that like yeah the idea that you know you can finish uh colonialism (laughs) with a non-violent way is weirdly a very american western one um while fma really does understand that like these empires uh, are are kind of these systems are like formed in blood the idea of equivalent exchange even uh, of of the understanding of loss the understanding that you have to suffer something to get something america and is the uh, eternal winner right we can't do that. We can't lose.
1: Well, and that's that's interesting too considering that like you said Avatar is it's created by like a western studio by Americans and the big bad is like the allegorical version of like the Japanese empire in the mid 20th century. And like the the inspiration there of like the fire nation being the imperial Japanese is like it's it's right there. It's like right. Oh in yeah, face. for There's sure. So much of it, and in this, but like in the same way, the the formula alchemist does a really good way of kind of allegor allegorizing al- allegorizing. Is that a word? Is that is that how you pronounce that word? No idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But like relating the the conflict to the way the West treats the Middle East in a really interesting way, and like it doesn't take too many episodes for them to come out and be like, Hey, some of those plucky characters who we introduced early on are war criminals. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're Just hanging out in polite society. And that's just kind of how it is. And like, as, as like somebody who has been in the United States all my life and grown up in the United States, like, I I mean, I learned on the news just the other day that uh, how George W. Bush feels about uh, what's going on in Palestine right now. And like, it's cool that he's just like kicking around i mean, you
2: know? I, mean I, I made this joke like two weeks ago i swear to god it but it literally was like i can't wait for the other war criminals to become painters and then be forgiven of all their sins like that's, yeah, that's i mean true. that's kind of that's the, the, the thing is that like and that's not to diminish anything avatar does because i think avatar is like a totally groundbreaking piece of storytelling and animation but i do i and i think that it is like fantastic in many ways at what it does but yeah i do think that like the message at the end kind of being about like how can we get Aang to not go against his morals uh and like and still win is like a weirdly very like like eric had to lose something at the end eric had to lose you know spoilers but he had to lose his wait should i spoil this or should i not spoil this tori Yeah. i this... Okay. i've, I've watched all of it I-
1: I okay. I honestly don't fully remember okay. this. Okay. Then I'm not so, going to say anything. Let's...
2: But like yeah, Eric Eric has to lose something at the end. I will say yeah. that. He has to lose something big and he has to make he has to lose it intentionally. And I think that that difference in understanding. And that's not to say that like all oh, that like uh, the imperial Japanese are like inherently better than the West or whatever, but like it is to say that like America is very young and has not known tremendous loss on its own soil, not by its own hand yet, in the same way. Like, we've killed each other and through our systems managed to kill plenty of people. Um, but uh, that's, that was our decision. And um Having to kowtow to an understanding that's bigger than you. The idea that equivalent exchange is unshakable, it is unmovable, is very much, I think, within the framework of understanding what it feels like to not be in control of everything. And I'm not sure if American audiences can take that yet.
1: I don't know if I can. uh... Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um that's pretty much it for me though um yeah you want to
0: start wrapping up
1: yeah I guess um if that's all we've got Nadia I want to give you an opportunity to kind of shout out stuff you're working on shout out where people can find your work um I know I want to ask if you're working on the sequel to Squire <laughs> yet? like uh what what are you what are you working on and where can people find you
2: yeah um well You know, where people can find me is an amazing question these days because the the internet is weird. Um, I am rebuilding my website so at some point you can find me at Nadia Shamas.com but lately I have been on Instagram and unfortunately back to Twitter but I do not intend to make that permanent so I will say Instagram also Nadia Shamas um, what am I working on now well like I said I'm kind of in the freelancing so I am helping with a few kind of small indie games that I'm writing on um, I I just had a book come out called Confetti Realms which is like a um horror comedy kind of YA thing just in time for Halloween. It is very Halloweeny. It's like 160 pages and like kind of in the the kind of goose It's like emo gay teens from New Jersey uh try to get drunk on Halloween but instead kind of get sucked into another dimension after breaking into a mausoleum where they have to go collect teeth in order to go home and then maybe kind of at the same time deal with the fractures in their relationships uh, with each other and themselves um so that's confetti realms it's it's a real weird one i wrote that in 2020 which i can you think you can tell because it is really weird and that's the the makings of someone who was stuck inside for two years so like yeah you can tell (laughs) um and yeah like i said i'm working on that graphic novel like i mentioned which has been announced no release date yet we're still working on it but everyone's white on the internet um as for squire 2 i cannot say about whether or not there will be a Squire 2, but I can definitely say that Sara and I are talking about what's going to happen next with us. So we will be uh, teaming up again to do something, maybe Squire 2, maybe something new. We're still figuring that out. Um, Yeah, I'm like, God, what? I think that's it right now for me. I think that normally i have like at minimum god no i have a bunch of stuff that i'm doing that's always like under nda and i'm like i can't remember what i'm allowed to talk about or not and i'm like yeah so i'm doing stuff that i can't talk about plus the stuff i did talk about so you know tbd i guess and yeah thirsty suitors comes out uh, it's published by annapurna it comes out on everything on november 2nd and uh yeah i'm I'm really excited to have my first game credit out there and to see what else happens
1: cool yeah Tori uh, what about you where can people find you on the internet
0: you can find me on the usual website at Tori underscore as underscore always and you can also find me on blue sky at Tori DP 98 at blue dot social I think that's blue sky's <clears throat> conventions I had to think about that <laughs> I hope um, they finish yeah, I... that website someday
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah, I yeah. still haven't quite wrapped my head around they that. They still like. need
2: DMs. I, I'm not yes. going back until they do DMs. Like, I had an account yeah. and I was using it. and Now I'm like, listen, uh, I'm not going back until you put DMs. Give them to yeah. me. I don't want to use Twitter anymore. Just do it.
1: <laughs> I wish they would. They need to add them and do it like the way they added uh, messages to Tumblr back in the day where it was like a virus that you had to, like, spread to people. <laughs> you remember that, Tori? That yeah, sounds wild. I do. Yeah when Tumblr implemented a messaging system it was doled out to like a handful of users and then it was like any user that that user sent a message to got access to the messaging client so then it was like it, it didn't take long but it just like disseminated like a virus and it was like you would get a message from like I think I got it from a friend. But I know I definitely just messaged some random people I was following just like, hey, did you get it yet? If not, here it is. Like, that's what Blue Sky needs to do. Blue Sky needs to add it like that. Um, I am on the Internet at Noah underscore Hertz on Twitter. And the podcast is there to, well, Noah underscore Hertz spelled H-U-R-T-S because it's funny the podcast is on Twitter at press underscore start pod and we're on Tumblr and blue sky at press hyphen start pod. Um, before we fully close the show, Nadia, I want to thank you for joining us here today. Um, I, I imagine that it is a it is a pretty stressful time to be a, a, an author in the world and also a Palestinian American and I really appreciate your, your candidness in talking about a lot of this stuff, so...
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Our show music, the intro and outro are from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their stuff at n-o-a-h-g-e-i-s-t.bandcamp.com and our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And uh, I think that's about it. Anybody got any closing thoughts?
2: Free Palestine.
1: Yeah. 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 Free Palestine. I'm with you. Um, Go to your local library and check out Edward Said's On Palestine if they have it and give it a read. Just (laughs) expand your mind.